You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This is a story about a girl named Lucky. Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Welcome back for another week. This episode is all about mental health, mental well-being, and just issues that plague a lot of us when it comes to our own mental and emotional health. So one of the things that Poppy and I discuss is being type A. And this is something that I've kind of struggled with my whole life, (laughs) which is Every single moment of the day, you want to be doing something. You want to be productive. And I think for me, the issue is that when I am not doing something, when I'm not quote unquote productive, even though relaxing is one of the most productive things you can do, I have this nagging sense of guilt. And it's really interesting to kind of trace this back. I think if I think back to middle school, high school, I was always doing the school play. I was also doing dance. I was also on the swim team and I was on the track team. And on top of that, I wanted to get straight A's. I spent my summers prepping for the SATs. I was prepping for the SATs, I think starting in 10th grade. And then before that, I went to summer school in Switzerland to learn French. So I was one of these people that I think was always on, always striving to be the best at everything. In this episode, we talk a little bit about how I was able to overcome that or or break that. And she gives, am- Poppy gives amazing advice on this episode. Like we talk about it all, anxiety, depression, just some of the things that people struggle with privately, but we don't often have open dialogue and discourse about. So really appreciated all of her insight there. In writing her new book, Happy Not Perfect, she did tons of research. I mean, she's been researching the brain and how we think for years. So I was really excited that she was able to bring that expertise to this podcast. And I think I need more mental health chats on Naked Beauty. So as you're listening, if you hear something that resonates with you, please do just take a screenshot, tag me at Naked Beauty Planet and let me know that you're listening because I think these conversations are so important and I hope that this conversation touches one of you that is listening or just changes the way that you think of things or allows you to help a friend who may be going through something if it's not you personally. All right, with that said, let's get into the discussion. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, 
eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. So I am joined by Poppy Jamie. Poppy, welcome to the Naked Beauty Podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you. I am so excited to talk to you, especially uh, now that we've just um, heard that you are actually a former London girl. Yes, yes. Poppy, you and I have a lot in common. We both have podcasts. We both hate to meditate and we both love Gen <laughs> Z from, from what I've been reading and hearing from you. So I'm like very excited. Um, you have just um, released your latest book, Happy Not Perfect, which is so wonderful. Tell me about the journey to creating this book and why you felt it was so important to publish it. Gosh, it's been, yes, by the way, we, we've a lot in common, um, all of that and probably a ton more. But the journey to this book, I guess, has been such an unusual one. And, you know, when I was little, I never woke up and thought, oh, I want to publish a book. That's my greatest dream. Life events almost took me here. And I felt that I could not not publish this book because I've been fortunate. My early career was in television and media. And um, I moved to LA when I was about 23. I launched the first talk show on Snapchat. We had, you know, millions of viewers. And that really led me into, it was almost like a sociological kind of anthropological study in a way doing that show because I was able to read thousands of messages from people all around the world. And in that moment, I realized we are all the same. It doesn't matter what our gender is, how old we are. We're all going through the same fears of, oh my God, what does my future look like? Uh, Relationships, like fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of like being excluded, fear of love. And that was really what led me to develop the Happy Not Perfect app as a place for our emotional health. Like how do we work out our emotional health? And, um, and, and that really brings us to that first like commonality, which is we both hate to meditate. And I was like, <laughs> surely there must be another way to looking after your mind than just sitting there and thinking of nothing when all my brain wants to do is think of stressful thoughts. And so that's when I built the Happy Not Perfect app, really leaning on the neuroscience behind positive psychology and the research that's been done in the last 40 years. And then the book was, you know, that was 2015 when I started researching that. And then I had six years of research and that research has totally changed my life. And I was always taught and I finally realized the root of all change is through education. And when I started to really learn about my brain, that was the moment when I realized I could change my brain. And that is really what I wanted to put into this book is everything that I've learned. So everybody else who doesn't have six years gets to fast track. Yes. 
So you are now like a wellness advocate with a focus on mental health. But from what I understand, there was kind of like a breakdown that led you to this point. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. So I think in this moment of time between, you know, being in the television industry and doing that talk show to really pivoting and changing my career, focusing on how do we change this conversation around mental health? It was a a health breakdown that led me to make that pivot. And I think honestly, my life wouldn't have changed without that health breakdown. And it's so interesting. Our health is usually what tells us the signs that we're not happy in something or something needs to change. And it was terrible bloating. It started off with symptoms like terrible bloating and insomnia and just like that chronic stress and anxiety. And often, again, we didn't even have the vocabulary for this way back then. So it was just noticing that it was like, you know, this is quite a lot of information probably, but it was really difficult to ever have regular bowel movements, like really stuff like that, where you're like, what is wrong with me? And um, I ignored every single health sign until one morning I was in so much pain and also so tired. I could barely lift myself up from bed. And that's when I took myself to hospital, assuming something was terrible, was wrong with me. Um, After all the tests, they came back and said, you are just really burnt out. Your stress levels are off the charts. You need to rest. And for someone who was such a doer, who wanted, who's so type A in a way, like I need to accomplish, I need to use every single minute of my day doing things. But, you know, I can't just inverted commas do things. I need to do things really well. And that just led my body to say, we don't have enough energy in this human body to give you what you want. And so that led me to, I guess, having to completely change the rhythm of my life. And that led me to think, well, how do I do that? And what on earth is going on in my brain to cause so much stress and friction to lead me up to this point? Yes. Isn't it so interesting how our bodies know before we do sometimes that something is wrong and we sometimes override that and don't listen to our bodies and try to rationalize or think of other reasons why there may be something wrong, but our bodies always know first. You bring up something really interesting about perfectionism and professionalism. And I think that this is something that a lot of young women happen to fall into. And it's something that I have definitely fallen into. I think in school, I always wanted to get straight A's and then I got into Stanford and then I wanted to get like straight A's there too. And that's like a really, really hard school. And it's like not that easy to be at the top of your class there. And then even as I graduated school and I went to work, I wanted to always be the best and have the best presentations and do everything. And, you know, my performance reviews always get exceeds expectations. And I think that that's something that a lot of people fall into. One, what do you think is driving this desire to be perfect? And do you think it's something that women face more than men? Well, perfectionism happens for uh, for people in many different ways, and it's driven by many different forms. It could be a desire for control, which really leads back to a feeling of wanting to be safe. But all human beings, we all have the same needs. Like we desire to be loved. We desire to desire to be enough. We desire to be accepted. And I think often with perfectionists, we feel that if we are not perfect, then we are not accepted. We then won't be loved. We're then not enough. And then we're unsafe because it goes back to that primal instinct of, well, well, I'm going to be kicked out the tribe. I'm going to be kicked out the group that I want to be in. I mean, fundamentally for me, it stemmed from having a real low self-esteem. Like I was not worthy unless my performance was extraordinary. 
And it was, you know, and, and in my mind, I would tell myself, well, maybe if you do get straight A's, you'll show yourself that you're worthy. Worthy. You're trying to use your external environment to like prove to an internal environment that you're enough. And that's when it can get really toxic. Look, a bit this, and this is what is so confusing about perfectionism because we can use it as a compliment. Well, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and we could have used it to like congratulate ourselves. But really, you know, it, I, I often find that in, in job interviews, they're like, so tell me a weakness about yourself. And like, you'll go, well, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And the person interviewing you is like, oh, brilliant. I've just got someone here that's going to work extra hours. It's going to, nice. <laughs> um, you know, because, because I think, yeah, it, com- it comes from, I would say like some sort of like kind of lack of self-appreciation. So how do you combat perfectionism if it's something that you notice in yourself? Put it this way, I think that we are all works in progress. I think that if anyone tells you that they're going to take away everything with, you know, a magic wand, then that's not true. Like also the thing is perfectionism is difficult because, you know, being a perfectionist is why you are crazy successful. Like, because you push yourself to that degree, you know, my perfectionism also helped me, you know, achieve a lot of the things I achieved but everything in moderation, you know, and moderation itself is Oscar Wilde, I think is the person that quoted that everything in moderation and moderation itself. And that's the thing with perfectionism. You know, sometimes it can be very helpful, but we have to slow down. And I think as the ancient Greeks told us, know thyself. We need to know the signs when our perfectionism is turning toxic. And that's the same with, you know, all this natural skills we have in itself. And that's the thing with mental health. I think that we've got into this conversation where it's all quite negative, but actually, you know, our childhoods and, you know, for many, they were really challenging, but that also was our winning formula for who we are today. I talk about the solution being flexible thinking and flexible thinking is this method I created based on many different therapies and many different research to really combine the tools that worked because I've done everything to try and find an answer. And so the flex method is a four-step flex method, which is a really easy strategy to help you manage perfectionism, low self-appreciation, anxiety, uh, ruminating, those thoughts that just won't leave you and go around your head over and over again. And the reason why I call it flexible thinking is because when you're flexible, like there is no right and wrong. I'm not saying here like perfectionism is wrong. When we're flexible, we're like, okay, a little bit of a perfectionism, that could be quite useful, but actually, oh, on a minute, I'm connected to myself. I'm seeing the signs that's turned a bit toxic now. How do I stretch back a bit? And we're just constantly stretching and bending through life, like according to how we feel. Yes. It's so interesting that you say low self-appreciation instead of low self-esteem. I've always heard people say the term low self-esteem. Why um, change the language around that? Well, I think esteem is often constructed when we compare ourselves to other people. So, you know, you have high self-esteem when you're with people that you think, you know, you're doing better than than them. And then you've got low self-esteem when you walk into a room full of people you think are much more successful than you. So actually, we don't need to compare ourselves to other people to gain an understanding of ourselves. 
self-appreciation, what I love about that word is it doesn't matter who you're with. You are so unique, so special, so infinitely, divinely perfect in your being, you know, your warts and flaws and all. And it's appreciating ourselves for who we are, what we've gone through, the challenges we've overcome. And it doesn't require anybody else for us to understand how much we should appreciate ourselves. We should just have whole appreciation for what we've gone through. I love that. Well, I want to ask you about some of the common things that people deal with. But before we get into that, I want to hear a little bit more about your upbringing and kind of your understanding of beauty growing up and what your self-appreciation was like as you were growing up. So I think that probably reason we always write books. I think people write books or, you know, they go into work that, you know, they need to heal themselves. And I think that my upbringing was pretty male dominated because I had two brothers. And so there's a part of me that in a way was never really able to like explore beauty that much because it just wasn't really celebrated in the home. And I think that's why I love it so much now, because it was something that I wasn't allowed to do for like years and years. And my mom is not a, you know, a beauty goddess at all. She'd always just say, wash your face with water. <laughs> that's it. Love it. <laughs> and so now I am like, oh my God, I've just found this product. And it's, I get so excited about the whole thing because it feels like Christmas every time, like you get a new product, you're like, oh my God, this is so exciting. It's like a gift to yourself. And also I was never given a single dollar. So I never even had like the funds to even like explore beauty kind of growing up because I could never, you know, I was never given money to like buy it. So it's definitely something that I find very liberating for me to explore beauty is like freedom because in a way I kind of look back of it at my childhood. I'm like, oh, that was quite like restricted. And um, we had an incredibly like loving childhood, but it was like very financially insecure. So And also my parents were that kind of quite typical British, quite strict, like stiff upper lip. So when I kind of left home, it was like, I mean, I was orange. I put so much fake tan on. (laughs) I put so many fake eyelashes on. I could barely see out my eyes. It was, you know, I kind of went from like zero to like everything because it was this, you know, a way to be free. I mean, that's really common. And that thing that you said earlier about receiving new skincare and things like that, making you happy, that's something that I want to dive deeper with you on. So I wrote this list of things that people commonly deal with. And you said you've kind of been researching how the brain works and why our minds do the things that they do. So I want to ask you about some of these. Okay. The first one is comparison. Well, it's human nature to compare. And again, comparison by itself is not a bad thing because, you know, we compare all the time. We have a slightly colder drink to what we had yesterday and we compare the drink and we go, oh, did I prefer it colder or did I like it, you know, midway? And, um, and so, you know, all our brain is doing the whole time is gathering data. What did I like more? So that's fine because then, you know, the next day we go, oh, can I have the drink like Tuesday? Because I, I, I much preferred that to Monday. And so, you know, that's like healthy comparison. We're finding out what we want. It's exploration. Comparison can turn toxic when we start comparing a part of someone else's life to the whole of ours. And this is when, you know, somebody gets a pay rise or, you know, a job promotion 
but we've got no idea what they're going through at home, how their relationship is, how they feel about themselves, what goes, what's going on inside their relationship with their family. We start comparing our entire world to just a snippet of what we understand from somebody else. And that can then make us feel comparatively not doing so well or we compare journeys like oh someone else is you know I'm going through that stage where you know a lot of my friends are having children and suddenly I'm like oh my god oh god should I be having children (gasps) like and this is when we forget that we're on our own wonderful divine path that is you know completely perfect for us and we all do things at different times like some people's careers explode in their early 20s other people's careers explode in their early 40s but you know we all have the same like goodness coming to us they just come at different ages and we also have the same challenges coming to all of us but again it all comes at different ages so I think that you know, it's just so easy in our very busy, overwhelmed world to fall into comparison traps because we're also conditioned. Our culture encourages us to compare as well. So we're going through a lot of deconditioning and we also have to really pause to remind ourselves that we're doing things right for us. Okay. The next one I have on my list is stress and anxiety. Oh my gosh. I've yet to meet someone who doesn't have stress and anxiety. So um, that's so normal. And I think this also leads into kind of like conversations around mental health. Everybody has struggles with their mental health because if I stood here and said, has anyone ever cut themselves? Like, you know, physically cut themselves or physically fallen over? We'd all go, oh yeah, me too, me, 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 me. Because physically we all get bruised. And so, of course, mentally, we all get bruised as well. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's so normal. And stress and anxiety, again, is just such a normal human reaction to potential threats. It's our body showing us that it's actually working. Now, obviously, again, when it tips over and we suddenly are feeling like overly stressed and overly fearful about things, we can rationally go, okay, I shouldn't, maybe this is a bit of overreaction. I personally think that that is one one of the most incredible signs that your body is ready to unlock wisdom. Like where actually now is this anxiety coming from? Like what's happened to me in the past for me to fear this in the present? And our brain, fundamentally, 95% of our day research suggests is run by our subconscious brain. And our subconscious brain is only made up of past memories. So our anxiety and our fear really is something that is from the past, making us worry about the future. But when we really take the moment to pause in the present, that is when we can unlock the wisdom, release tension from the past, and then free us to create a future that looks completely different. I love that. And I feel like that's so much of what the app that you built does in terms of making wellness and mental well-being being like a daily practice, right? It's not just like a one and done thing, like you're going to have this breakthrough. It's kind of every single day taking account of um, where you are and what you're grateful for, which is why I like love that you designed it that way for it to be kind of a, a daily thing. Yes, absolutely. And I think sometimes we can feel like failures because let's say we go and do therapy and we're like, I've got it sorted, sorted all my stresses. I've sorted my childhood trauma. I'm done. I am done. I went to a retreat. They told me I was fine. And then suddenly a week later, we're hit by a challenge and we're like, what's wrong with me? I went to therapy for Christ's sake. Why am I not free of this? And 
that is just so normal. You know, it's not like, you know, you're, if you break your arm and you heal it, that doesn't mean you can't, you know, you're not, you won't be able to break your arm again. And so I think my approach has always been really inspired by my mother, who's a psychotherapist, has always been that like, you know, our mind is just a muscle. And that's why I talk about flexible thinking a lot in the book, because if we don't stretch our thoughts continually, like stretch our thoughts to think about what we actually can appreciate today, the small things, what we what we do have in our life, rather than constantly grasping for what we don't, if we don't stretch our thoughts, we become stiff and that's when we become brittle. So that's why the, yeah, the habit of perfect gap. And that's why we use w- words like workout because, I think hopefully we're getting to a point, I think culturally that we're all understanding that actually, you know, and me, I built this and I still, you know, do you know what I, mean? I still have to like get myself and like get my knickers in a twist and have little mini breakdowns. And I'm like, Poppy, you built an app, <laughs> go use it. <laughs> well, you mentioned your mom is a therapist. What's it like having a mom that's a therapist growing up? Definitely interesting. Um, so it was quite funny because when when she she has explored all different therapies. And so when she was uh, training in hypnotherapy, we must have been 11 or 12. And so she would set us down and hypnotize me and my brothers. And, you know, everyone just laughs being like, that is why you guys are all slightly, <laughs> slightly kooky. You've been hypnotized since you were 12. I was like, I know. But no, it was kind of amazing because when I was 12, for example, she would hypnotize me when I was struggling at school. She would hypnotize me to like put myself in this pink bubble. So for example, like, you know, I wasn't so affected by mean words or like bullies and stuff like that. And I thought that was kind of amazing to learn how powerful the mind was at a young age. And then I think you go through those years where it doesn't matter who tells you great stuff, you just refuse to listen. So even though she would sit there and just give me the best kind of like therapeutic talks, I just was so stuck in my teenage ways of like, I'm not going to listen. I'm just going to do this. And it's only really much later on in life have I really been able to appreciate her as an amazing therapist because I was ready to listen. And I think that's often happens with friends, right? We give our friends all this advice and they just do the opposite thing. And um, I definitely think from having a mom who has always been like an amazing therapist it doesn't matter how much advice you get. If you're not willing to really hear, then it's it's not going to help. Two more things I have on my list that are maybe more difficult to work through, but just wondering what you've learned just as you've been researching the mind and how it works. The first one is depression. So people that are dealing with depression, have you in your studies kind of encountered anything that's helpful for people that are suffering with depression? Yeah, I mean... Depression is, you know, like comes after anxiety and stress. So it's the spiral down. And then when we're experiencing depression, and I really like to phrase it when you're experiencing, because nothing is permanent. No depression lasts forever. Everything comes in waves. But if you are going through that right now, always know that there are ways out of it. And the smallest things can be the greatest triumphs. Like just, you know, really forcing yourself out of bed to go for a 20 minute walk or calling a friend or making sure that you're like cooking delicious meals. Like just looking after your basic human needs. So where I mostly researched and learned about depression was through the Human Givens Institute. And it is, I think, probably one of the best places to learn about emotional well-being ever created. 
And basically they set out that every human being has about seven to 11 basic core needs. Like we all need to feel safe where we're living. For example, we all need to like have basic nutrients, like what we're eating. We all need to feel like a sense of autonomy, like a sense of control. So for example, if you're in like a relationship that's highly controlling, it's no wonder that you're feeling stressed and anxious because we all need to feel like we have a certain amount of control in our own life. And that's why in a job, for example, if someone micromanages you the whole time, if you don't feel like you've got control, then that can be deeply distressing. Yes, I have been there. It is not fun. Right. And so when you go through these like basic human needs, you realize, oh, hold on a minute, that human need isn't being met. That human need isn't being met. Like, of course I'm depressed. So that's what my real belief in depression. There's no, no one is depressed without a reason. A flower does not grow in soil that doesn't have any nutrients. It doesn't have any water, doesn't have any light. When you think about yourself and you're most happy and you ask yourself the question, oh, what am I doing right now? Immediately people will say, oh, I'm with friends. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a really happy environment. So I think that um, depression is a huge sign to look within. Like what, what basic needs are not being met and how can I change my environment for me to bloom? Yes. I love that. Yeah. And look, and of course, seek professional help. And also there's lots of free resources out li- online because again, like, you know, professional help isn't always in everyone's means. And sometimes, you know, great friends can be very helpful in helping you see what basic needs are not being met. But yes, have a look at Human Givens Institute because they will list all the human needs there. And it is absolutely mind-blowing when you realize how much you're missing. Very interesting. The last one, which is also a very difficult one, but I would love to hear your thoughts only because it's like so illuminating and I feel like you're helping so many listeners. Um, Disordered eating, which is one that I think a lot of people struggle with. Huge. Oh, I feel like disordered eating is the one of the areas of mental health that is so under-discussed. And the statistics would suggest that way over half of women experience disordered eating too. And I think it leads into a lot of the things we've spoken about, like, you know, comparison and control and self-appreciation. Also perfectionism, I think as well. I mean, you said that perfectionism is a symptom of a lack of control, but I think there's like, especially for women, this idea that if you're doing well, you're also very small and not taking up a lot of space and, you know, getting everything done. I think so much of it um, is like the way that we are conditioned as a society. Absolutely. We've been told the body positivity movement is only what a year old, two years old, three years old. Like when I say it's really been embraced by mainstream media, but our early psyches have been way earlier conditioned by looking at images of such unattainable ideals. And that is really difficult to shrug off. Like we have been told for thousands of days that smaller is better. So again, like how can we blame like ourselves if, you know, for, and I've experienced disordered eating, like how can we blame ourselves when we are all going through such a process of deconditioning? And so I'd say, you know, disordered eating is, you know, it's, it's an, it's an ongoing process of of self-appreciation 
and and also finding i would say like like new inspirations and uh, and also choosing the media that you wish to consume every single day because only till recently did i really massively like completely change like who i was following for example because now i'm like looking at so many different types of women and as a consequence i I feel so much better about myself and I'm trying to wean my, I'm like, I, that shouldn't even make me feel better because I'm trying to reduce my, you know, comparison in all types of forms. I think um, often when you start to get to the root of, you know, disordered eating is just um, a symptom, not the cause. So I think when we unlock all our behaviors, these maladaptive behaviors that we've created to, to try to meet I think these unmet needs of ours, like, am I loved? Am I enough? Am I safe? I think it's amazing how our behavior and all different types, whether our behavior at work, our behavior with our eating, our behavior with relationships, it all changes when we really start to, I think, heal the root of our root of our psyche. Thank you so much for breaking down all of those kind of very difficult things that people deal with. I think it's been so helpful to hear from you on those I want to talk about quarantine for a little bit. I just watched an incredible special. Have you seen Bo Burnham Inside? I haven't, but I've heard a lot about it. You have to watch it. It's so good. I I watched it twice actually over the weekend. And you kind of see him struggle through quarantine the way a lot of us did. And just the impact on on his psyche. And it's a very intense piece of media to watch, um, but it's also very funny at times. But I'm just wondering, like for you personally, how has this past year been for you? And you know, also like writing a book through it, but also now that we're coming out of lockdown, I feel like people are just like, okay, the world's opening up, like back to regularly scheduled programming. And I have personally, I feel like a little bit of whiplash, like, whoa, (laughs) is it just going to go back to the way it was before? I'm not ready. So how how has this past year been for you? And how are you feeling about re-entering, you know, the way we used to live? As Einstein said, you know, the greatest human intelligence is the ability to change. And our intelligence to be able to change has been tested so severely. Not only did we have to change to go into lockdown, we then had to change to go into kind of like mid lockdown, mid out. We then have to like change again to kind of like coming out. But yeah, there's still a pandemic here. It feels like we are out, but we're not. And we're constantly told like different messages. And so as a consequence for a brain and all of our brains are like this, that love certainty and safety. We are living in times which are, that feel very unsafe, even though they are safe, they feel very unsafe. And the media doesn't help to give us psychological safety at all. It just kind of like fires, with, fires us with different statistics that can kind of, you know, trigger all sorts of different stresses and anxieties within people. So flexible thinking, I would say, has been a great help. And if I break that down, like step one being connection, when the world is telling you to go faster, to go back to old normal, to go back to 180 miles an hour and do all of those meetings in person and everything else and, you know, still be kind of like a Wonder Woman and, you know, look after yourself, but also your family. Like, it's just absolutely like it can't happen. Like it's, it's inhuman to be able to go back to, I think the world we were in because we were also chronically burnt out. So I think it's like holding, understanding our boundaries and going back to new normal 
with the rhythm that we want to go back to. We don't need to go back to the rhythm that is forced upon us by institutions, our jobs, our other people around us to fit, fit their needs. And as women, I think that's even harder to, to remember what our own rhythm is because inherently we are caregivers. Like we want to look after people. We want to make sure people are okay. Um, and so that can kind of feel quite contradictory to us going, nope, this is my rhythm and I don't want to change it. But with flexibility, I think it's it's moving in tune with how you feel, not becoming disconnected from the body, not allowing your brain to run the show and just being this, you know, this mind. We are just one big ball of energy and we know instinctively, we know when we slow down and take that pause, what our gut is saying. And so that, that's what I would say, the power of the pause. Like I have, a, I have this amazing teacher that says to me, Poppy, always say to yourself, pause, what a pleasure. Pause, what a pleasure. Isn't it a pleasure to pause? And in that pause, that's when we find our wisdom. And that's why the book takes you through step two, being curious. Step three, making a choice to be our most compassionate selves. And step four, like committing to, you know, what would my best self do? And I think when we understand what our best self is, we are much better at making better decisions in the present as to how we want to redesign our life now. Yes. Are there any changes that you're going to make from the way that you, you know, engage with the world after this past, it's actually been more than a year. You keep saying this past year, it's a year and a half. You know, I think it's to move and flow with the outcomes in life. You know, the only thing that we've got control over is what we put in. And then, for example, like this book, I only had control over what I wrote on the page, how I created it. And then the outcome of it, I don't have any control over. So me five years ago, I'd have been like, oh my God, oh my God, is it going to do okay? Oh, I need to call up this person. I need to call up this person. Oh my God, oh my God. Like so stressed. Like it needs to, like the, 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 the Stanford straight A's, it needs to do well. Like it needs to. Right. And one thing I've learned through flexible thinking, which I, I outline in the book is, God, you can let go of the outcome. We can let go of that kind of, because the outcome is trying to control perfect, but we can only, you know, put our intention in and then we let it go and trust, self-trust that we can handle whatever comes our way because that's the right challenge for us. So that's kind of my big change is, is, is moving from like old me, which was like hyper controlling <laughs> into a me that don't get me wrong. Like I can still be controlling, that I'm so much more aware of how to go, okay, we're going to slow down and we're going to take it, we're going to exhale and we're going to trust that everything is folding just as it should. Good. I love that. I feel like we've also had a lot more time or a lot of people have had more time to focus on skincare and self-care in the past. It's like just time being alone at home definitely allows you to get more into treating yourself and your body well. Have you discovered any skincare favorites uh, over the past, you know, couple months? Yes. I have become an absolute devotee of Erno Laszlo and I just am obsessed with their products. First of all, they've been doctor formulated for just under a hundred years. Yes. The amount of reformulations they have done to get the perfect formulation you can really tell when you start using their products and I've given them to some of my friends and they have all completely converted. They're really great products. I feel like there's, 
and I'm so sorry, I don't know the names of the products, but they have like this liquid thing that you like pat into your skin and it kind of like instantly transforms your skin in like a very scary way that I've never experienced with another product. Yes, it's the Shake It. Okay, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, it's the Shake It. And then, for example, I use their um, their hydrotherapy sleep mask, and it has like NASA like technology. So basically, it goes back to the shape that you know if you take some out, goes back to the shape. And oh my god, it locks moisture in, and it's completely changed the texture of my skin. I have to try that. It's unbelievable. And then they have this vitamin C two-step process and I had I've had struggled with my skin for absolutely years and this is like the first brand that actually says what it does on the tin which yes you have great skin by the way ah well it's all I know Laszlo honestly had you interviewed me six months ago it really really wasn't it is like I've used them like religiously now for six months I've really noticed a difference Wow. Have you made any beauty mistakes looking back? You mentioned the self-tanner and and the lots of lashes. Are there any like beauty mistakes that you like look back on and think like, why was I doing this? Oh my God. So many. I look back at photographs and also I was a, I was a TV presenter. So young, like at, at the age of 18 and I go back to look at videos and I just shiver, I shiver about what I was wearing. Yeah. So I never knew how to put on. We're like around the same age. I'm 31. Yes, I'm 30, turning 31 in July. So you're 30. So I feel like when I look back at like those like peplum tops and like <laughs> just what I don't know what we were doing, but it's like horrific. Like the 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 shoes with like the platform like in the pump and like just you were I don't know if this was popular in the UK, but in the US, like American apparel, there were these like spandex dresses. There was like lots of Hervé Leger. It was just really, really tragic looking back. Yeah, I look at Gen Z now and they are so gorgeous. None of everyone has sorted out how to do their makeup. There is me on the other hand who would like blue shimmer, like a line for a line for my blush, like just yes. a line. You didn't even bother to like blend, blend it. it. Blend it. Oh, and didn't even know what a blender was. So it was literally just these two like orange lines to give me like cheekbones. Kim Kardashian had not come on the scene yet to teach us how to contour. And then there's like photographs of me on Google. It's like so embarrassing. Like I only used to put foundation around like my nose. So I'd have like my skin look like a com- it was completely <laughs> different textures, completely different colors, like wherever you looked. Oh my God. Um, and also I thought it was really cool to like clump my mascara on the bottom so much that halfway th- through the day, it would kind of dissolve off. <laughs> oh my God. And did you do the like really severe black eyeliner like on the top and bottom? Uh, you can even see my eyes. Yeah. They <laughs> like <were>. a raccoon <laughs> effect. <laughs> it was. And then I had peroxide blonde hair that basically my hair would fall out because it was just like burned basically. Oh my God. Like the cheapest dye I could find. Um, <laughs> and then I would have like a very thin, very thin eyebrow. We were all there. It's not, it's not unique. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So what are your other kind of beauty faves aside from the skincare? Like, do you have favorite fragrances, hair products, things that you just feel like you can't be without? So I've just recently, recently, again, I've slightly late to the party. I've just recently learned about hair masks after the fact that I finally realized after 10 years that my hair never grew after a certain length. So um, my hairdresser was like, have you ever tried a hair mask? I'm like, oh, that, that would be a good idea. So I've just gotten to Kevin Murphy. If do you guys yes. have yeah, Kevin Thank Murphy you. hair masks and um, fragrance, 
I'm obsessed with two, the burrito. Yes. Byredo. Byredo. Yeah. Which one? Not the newest one. It's like kind of his like OG. Maybe gypsy water or. Yeah. And um, Joe Malone. And I always go for like Rose. Yeah. Rose is, I kind of go for like, like a slightly floral tinge. I love that. Well, we talked about at the very beginning, you were talking about how buying, like getting new skincare things like makes you happy. And I feel like I'm in this really interesting position where I recommend products all the time. I love getting products. A lot of times brands send me products, but even the brands send me things, I also like buying things. And I feel like a lot of times self-care gets conflated with purchasing things. And I think for people that really love beauty, consumerism is like a trap that's easy to fall into. So I'm wondering for you, if this is something you've come across as you've been doing research for your book, or even as you were developing the app, like how do people kind of like really assess and look at if they're buying things because they need them or if they're buying them to kind of fill some sort of gap inside of them and like the way consumerism kind of plays into our mental well-being? I do think a lot of brands jump on the bandwagon of trying to sell you self-care in the form of a product. And I think the power of the pause always comes back because I think sometimes consumerism can become quite addictive. And so when we're feeling an uncomfortable emotion, we just want to distract. We don't unpack that emotion because it's scary. It's uncomfortable. It's not going away. So we're like, great, I'm just going to distract myself and go shopping and do something because this makes me feel good. Right. And again, like there is no like right or wrong answer to any of this. I think we just need to, when we slow down, we become more conscious and we can ask ourselves, okay, do I really want this? Or am I just doing this because I'm bored? And, and also when we have everything now, science and research proves that that buy it now actually is very fleeting happiness like delayed gratification makes happiness last longer. So if there is something, for example, if there is something I really like, usually I wait a week and say if I really want it after a week. And then if I still really want it after a week, I'm like, yay, get so excited because I've kind of waited, I've delayed that gratification. That's so smart. I feel like there are so many things I wouldn't buy if I took that framework of like waiting. Yes, we just wait for a week. And yeah, and and also think to ourselves like, why have we, for example, if someone's recommended me a product, I'm much more likely to buy it than if I'm just aimlessly scrolling on Instagram. Oh, totally. I mean, recommendations from real people is like the strongest type of recommendation that you can get, which is why I feel like this podcast inspires a lot of people to buy products because you know they're hearing about the amazing experiences of others. But yeah, I like this idea of kind of pausing and asking yourself, am I purchasing this to avoid uncomfortable feelings? So I think that's really helpful self-care tips for people that don't meditate like you and I, because I'm so sick of people telling me like, just, you know, lock yourself in your closet and meditate. I mean, I've tried to meditate several times um, and I've even successfully done it a few times, but it's just, it's not for me. So I'm wondering kind of what self-care tips you have for people that don't like to meditate. Well, meditation comes in many different forms. So what I like to do, for example, is a dance party for like five minutes every morning to my favorite tunes you just whack them on usually it's some like 70s or 80s throwback number and reconnecting with our body every single morning is oh 
it's life-saving because when we understand how our body feels, that's when we can tap into our wisdom. That's when we start making more conscious decisions. That when we, that's when we are not in our reactive mode. We're in our responding mode because we're actually aligned with kind of like with who we are and not letting our ego mind, our kind of inner critic or, you know, our subconscious mind to run the show. So Dancing for like five minutes, absolutely key. Or if dancing is not your thing, then just go for a 20 minute walk for work. I think it is just getting your body moving before you sit down at the desk. Because in lockdown, it was really easy to just roll out of bed and just start writing emails. And then I think we don't shift the blocked energy. You know, pain is just blocked energy uh, and emotional pain is just blocked energy. So moving your body less because it's like physically good for you, but more because it's like frees you up mentally is I think my best tip for people that can't meditate, just move your body. I love that. And I definitely love to move. All right. So this is my final question. I have asked every single guest I've had on this podcast for, I'm almost at my five years of doing this podcast, Naked Beauty. I can't believe it's been five years, but the final question is, when do you feel most beautiful? Laughing, but I don't hold back. (laughs) I don't, I just don't, I don't hold back. And I also roar with laughter. Um, my dad used to always say growing up, the pop you laugh so loudly. And it is, it just is an absolute kind of shriek of laughter. And it's so expressive. And it's really my soul trying to communicate to everybody around me. So probably when I'm laughing. Well, thank you so much, Poppy. Congratulations on the book. So exciting. Happy, not perfect. You have an amazing app, which everyone should try as well after they buy the book or just do both at the same time. Um, And I will also link to your fabulous podcast in the show notes too, so people can catch up with your podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love this podcast and thank you for your amazing questions. Okay. That was Poppy. I think this was such an important and interesting and necessary conversation, please do reach out to me and let me know if anything that you heard on this podcast helps you in any way. I so appreciate your support and I will be back next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 